more of these conversations were had because I was braver to have them. Yeah. I was braver to have them when I was in university. And a lot of that is because of what I was studying. So I studied geographical and archaeological sciences um, with a bigger focus on social sciences mm. and how people interact with each other and the different environments within them. And so a lot of that was theorized. Um, and I, I started accumulating the language in which to articulate what I was feeling and seeing and experiencing in the world. Mm. So the pinch was easier to find. Yeah. Now I could blatantly see where the pinch was in my sweater and, um, and, then, and then talk about it or address it or, you know, try to fix it in the capacity that I had. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode on the Outcome Podcast. I am your host, Matt Schiff. And I welcome you back to the podcast if you are rejoining the conversation or I welcome you to the podcast if it is your first time joining us today. For those that have been around, I would like to just plead a sense of humility, if I may. I would love for you to please help share the episode or the podcast around to your immediate networks. If you have come back and you've listened to my journey and the guests that have been involved over the last few months that the podcast has been around greatly i would appreciate it if you could either like and subscribe for sure but mostly share the episodes or particular verses topics nuggets whatever it might be that you found resonated with yourself during a particular guest conversation the podcast is meant to display a sense of extreme vulnerability with whomever the guest might be on the show for that day and it is less so about me and what the podcast is trying to achieve through that vulnerability, but more so about the guest and the message or story that they're sharing with you, the listener, and me, the host. And as a result, I personally feel that as Africans, as people, we have a strong storytelling narrative. And I would be exceptionally grateful if you were able to share this and potentially with someone else who might resonate with it the same way you do as well. For today's episode, episode 14, I have a dear friend of mine, Didi Matibe, and I introducing you to one of the most vulnerable, intense, intimate conversations I've yet to have on the show. But before we dive into any of the conversation with her, I thought I'd give a little shout out to one of my dear friends and episode 11 guest, Tatiana Sharp. Just recently, her company, Global Impact Network, she is the CEO and co-founder, of course, has launched a Impact Citizen campaign where 100 ambassadors have joined this force of network where people from around the world are doing events or performing events, doing activities, and essentially moving the goodwill of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals in such a way that you're able to measure, you're able to track, and you're able to hold one another as well as yourself accountable to the kind of event that you may be hosting. The Impact Citizen community has uh, reached out to one another over the last couple of weeks and have gotten together on uh, one or two occasions really uh, just to chat about what these incredible people have been up to and where they have come about from different walks of life. Now I'm obviously based out in Cape Town, South Africa but most of the team is dispersed across the world. Uh, a colleague of mine, Joel, he's uh, part of the South African Ambassador Group, 
but the likes of people from India, from Palo Alto in California, we've got people in the Seychelles, Sweden, the Ukraine, quite literally all over the world, there are change agents. These are change makers that are doing things in their own little sphere that is being promoted on a larger scale through global impact network to show the world that the youth, but also people out there are geared towards making the world a better place. If you would like to stay in touch or keep track of what this incredible company is up to, I encourage you to check out globalimpact.world, which is Tatiana's uh, website for global impact. And as mentioned, uh, essentially their, their network is allowing a person or an individual to take action from anywhere and for any course. They let you measure your actions through fun and achievable challenges about real world issues. And whatever really gets done, their philosophy allows it to get measured. So it is quite an incredible company and they have quite an incredible platform launching fairly soon. Give it a shout. If you haven't listened to episode 11, I encourage you to do so. You won't be disappointed. Episode 14, one of my dearest friends, Didi Matibe, joins me for the conversation about vulnerability, intimacy, and just an exceptional sense of humanity through and through. The days leading up to our conversation were weird. There's no other way to put it. Protests around the globe had broken out around justice for George Floyd. Black Lives Matter movement had been amplified, debated, vivisected from every angle on and offline. A giant explosion killing over 135 people and injuring more than 5,000 from a warehouse in Lebanon had happened. And the threat of the coronavirus was still very, very much upon us all during the same time. Whilst this was happening, like many of you, I was also trying to figure out what this all means in my own little world. Then my intention to invite Didi to the show had revealed itself amidst this chaos. Why now and why this way and through this platform? These were two questions she had actually asked me during our intro phone call prior to the recording. And it actually forced me to think long and hard about the, that word intention, which I alluded to just a little bit earlier. At the time of her asking, I'd already begun my own journey of unlearning, of listening and of revisiting the hard work to try and make sense of how I actually understood my own privilege, as well as what healing, freedom, and justice for black people and people in general across the globe looked like today. Like many of you, I was having many of those uncomfortable conversations with myself and those around me and tried my utmost best to soak in all of the information from people who had something to give. When Didi had asked me why now and why through this medium and this platform, Insecurities of my own had actually revealed itself and it perhaps dawned on me that I was using Didi who is a black woman that I trust and I know to have these uncomfortable conversations with keeping myself or safeguarding my own heart knowing that she wouldn't be the type of person to necessarily scrutinize or antagonize me but she would be the type of person to call me out on my wrongs or my biases and having her online or having her joining me on the call was an opportunity for me to take a step forward in that unlearning, in that re-listening, and doing it through a safe, quote-unquote, platform was my default method. Now, I understand some people have a variety of different avenues in which to express themselves. And for me, having a conversation with those that are dearest is definitely a, a medium in which I feel most comfortable. I can understand for Didi, however, it might not have been the most 
the most comfortable nor the most uh, appropriate way to have had these type of conversations. At the time, I, I, had, I, could, I could feel it. She could see right through me. I hated it and I loved it all at the same time. She has always had this empathetic effect, this compassionate effect with those around her, all within herself and within the world to call a home. She's someone I heartfeltly consider to be one of the most beautiful souls this world has to boast. And in our conversation, despite its vulnerability, despite its uncomfortability, she was able to hold a space for our conversation to be had in the most authentic way possible. And I will forever be grateful for that experience with her. This recording was done about six weeks ago now, maybe even a little bit longer. And it was taken from across the world as she's currently in Bolivia. Uh, yet throughout the conversation, she was able to display an immense sense of that compassion, that vulnerability, and really allow me, as, as well as you, the listener, to take a look under the hood and see who the person is behind the microphone. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It made me feel uncomfortable. It challenged me to feel comfortable and to ask the, the uncomfortable questions, but to also treat the area or treat the topics at hand as if we were just humans. Storytelling. This is one of the main reasons I am exceptionally grateful for the conversation I had with her. So without further ado, I introduce episode 14 to you, and I hope that you enjoy. Deeds, I'm, I'm literally just going to roll right into it. I, I want to welcome you to the Outcome Podcast Show um, with, with me today. And I am very, very grateful of your time this morning. It is a weekend day. Um, I must be honest and say this is one of the most uh, different type of podcasts which I've had up to now, where, uh, as we spoke about in our preparation, it's, it's one that Mm-hmm. I yeah on my little journey that I'm on and uh, having you part of it it's I I I feel like it's going to be a, a stumble a vulnerable a beautiful conversation that uh, I couldn't think of anyone better to to try and have with and, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful just to have you join the show so thank you yeah I'm glad to be here I'm glad to be on your show. I think you're doing something really cool here. So I'm glad to be part I of it. I appreciate that. Really, I do. Uh, this, this particular episode, I think, is one where um, I, I want to point... Okay, so Outcome Podcast has this tagline where it's not black and white. And the intention mm-hmm. behind the tagline uh, is such that the more difficult conversations or the more uncomfortable ventures that people like float in and out of... Um, I want to try and have those conversations personally with the people that are around me, but also entice whoever's listening to challenge their comfortabilities or to think a little bit more about a topic. If they happen to find this episode and something within our conversation resonates or there's a, a gem that they like, uh, I would hope that someone would like want to explore a little bit further either like personally mm-hmm. what they feel about it or you know, either follow you on Instagram and see what your journey is like to learn a little bit more or they'll be encouraged to do a bit more homework in another field. Um, mm-hmm. So this, this episode, essentially, I, I had obviously sent a couple of questions just as a guide rope for us to, to follow. Uh, but I, I think just like our friendship has been over all the years, it's very organic and very, 
very like easy, I guess, just flowing. Um, <laughs> uh, and I don't want to yeah. treat it as as such. Are we are you okay with that to stumble through this with me? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I'm okay with that. Um, I think that's the best way to have a conversation to stumble through it until you you find the words that make the most sense to you. On the, in, in the, on that note, then yeah. um, as a as something I've been trying to do over the last couple of weeks with the conversation that I have been having is try to to segment a particular conversation and the way in which I find that it's yeah it's kind of been a, a beautiful introduction to a conversation is having someone like yourself or whomever else uh, talk about the, their life as chapters so to say um, and if I had okay. to ask you just off the bat say you know, early, if you, if you had to take a step back and think as early as what you can remember, uh, Didi's life to be, what would you call your first chapter if you had to title it? And why would you title it mm-hmm. as such? I think my first chapter, my first chapter would be loss. Loss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my first chapter would be lost because that was, this is the chapter I'm, in my, I'm thinking about where my mom passed away when I was eight years old. Um, and that was the greatest loss in my life, the most difficult time of my life, even though I didn't understand it then. Now looking back, I'm like, yeah, that was rough. Um, but yeah, as well during that time, I had lost parts of myself that I had lost me because I was trying to find who I was um, according to what the world wanted me to be instead of just being a happy kid. Um, Yeah, I was trying to be the popular kid, the thin kid, the smart kid, the kind kid, the everything kid, the one who everybody wants to be around because I was suffering so much loss. So I wanted to fill that with other people and I wasn't able to because I wasn't the thin kid. I wasn't the always kind kid. I wasn't the always smart kid and I wasn't just being me. So um, yeah, that was a very difficult time in my life. Loss, loss, loss of self and loss of my okay, I, I'd love mm-hmm. to... Uh, I'd love to get into to that chapter, uh, but before then, um, mm-hmm. I, can we can we timeline it? How long? So, if you were at the age of eight, uh, and you would mm-hmm. title that chapter "Lot," how long does that chapter go on for until you would sort of introduce chapter two? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> from eight until maybe about. Ooh, when I was in grade 10, was 16? how old was I in grade 10? Yeah. <laughs> 16 years, yeah. 16 so years, that would be yeah. eight years so, worth of chapter so one. Yeah. Okay. So now to, yeah. to, to jump back into the chapter of loss. I, I mean, that is, those are some mm-hmm. profound thoughts already at such a young age to be having that, you know, mm-hmm. maybe wanting to fit in or maybe wanting to be the popular kid, the thin kid, the likable kid is... Is something that every student or person goes through, but doesn't perhaps have the vernacular for it, the the the, the words for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like you were pretty conscious of it already then. Were, were you? No, I knew. 
I, I was conscious of it in that I knew how I was feeling, that this is not who I am, but every day I have to put on this costume of what people want me to be. I knew that. I could understand that feeling, but obviously I could not articulate it how, at that how point. How did you come to know that? Because, I mean, the only thing I can, I, sorry to sort of hijack it, but the only frame of reference I have is coming to that later on in life, doing the hard work that I needed. And that was like journaling and sort of weird conversations with different people. But that was at mm-hmm. a much later stage in my life. For you to, to know mm-hmm. that feeling, that, that mold was being put on mm-hmm. at such a young age, was it something that you could, was it a conversation that you had with your dad? Was there a person in your life that you could sort of bounce this across? Or... No, these weren't conversations I was having with people. These were observations I was having of people, especially my dad and my sister. My sister has always been incredibly sure of herself and her aura and just presents herself as is. And it's up to you if you take it or not. Um, So I knew that that was possible. You could be that. People could love you for that. And my dad as well. He's always been um, also very self-assured and um, and very um, undeniably himself in every moment of his life, in every hardship, in every triumph. So I could see this physically in my life, that this was something that was possible. It was possible to live your life like that. Why wasn't I? Mm. But I didn't know how to articulate that or how to get to that point or how to even have these conversations with my family. I didn't know. So I was just struggling through that loss um until i was old enough to kind of grasp what was happening so, so i'm really i'm really sort of yeah. pushing on this now I, I apologize if i am uh, obsessively no, it's okay it's, <laughs> what was that struggle like for you was it a matter of um you know sort of creating friendships with people to fit in and knowing so that you were doing that in your mind but you were like putting it to the side because that's what you thought you wanted or um do mm. what was it the determinative forms of like depression or anxiety? How did that struggle sort of manifest until eventually you were like, you know, this isn't this isn't okay no more? <laughs> well, um, weirdly enough, it did, it transpired a little bit different differently for me because it wasn't me seeking like to be group to be friends with this group of kids because they look like the popular likable kids or something like that. For me, it was seeing people who I want to be a part of their lives and knowing that because I'm wearing this costume, this mold, I can't be because they are being their authentic selves and it's going to be difficult to accept me as my non-authentic self. So it was more of me living on the outskirts of what I wanted instead of going into Mm. what I wanted. Mm, Does that make sense? So, So I spent a lot of time alone always surrounded by people, but very alone um, because I never had access to the actual people that I wanted because I was, because I never had access mm. to myself. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of time alone. Um, I was in boarding school since grade five. I've been in boarding school until the end of matric. So always being surrounded by these people that you don't have access to, it puts you in a state of like, I don't know, a spiral of, mm, uncertainty a spiral of uncertainty like am i ever going to be able to take off this mask what does what do i need to do to be able to take off this mask um ever am i ever going to feel 
so not alone, so isolated, so not myself. So I guess not depression. I, I don't think I've ever been depressed, but definitely anxiety. I've struggled with anxiety since this time of loss. Until now, I am still a very anxious person, as you know. <laughs> but I have better ways of dealing now. Um, but yeah, so a lot of anxiety around this uncertainty of who I am, how, how can I place myself in the world as this person that I really am? Um, but then how do I come out as me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we were, I mean, we're sort of 10 minutes into the conversation and we've, uh, I'd like to think like really sort of zoomed in quite a bit. Um, as a, as a slight segue, I want to just throw in a thought, uh, and I, for no particular reason, sure. but other than to see your opinion on it, mm-hmm. you made a comment saying that the, the friends yeah. or the people that you were around were perhaps living their more authentic selves, uh, yet sort of at the same age, mm-hmm. with the same girls in the same school. Uh, I guess the question is really, do you think <laughs> at that age, what is that? Eight to sixteen years old girls or kids are are really innocently living that authentic life, or is it is it the persona? Perhaps it, more of those people were struggling in the same way you were, but weren't mm-hmm. they were either brushing it off to the side and not dealing with those feelings until later on. I suppose much like I did. Um, so, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you what do you think about the people that you were surrounded with at that time? Were they truly authentic? Do you think? Well, I I don't know. This is just the perception that I had of them. I was seeing them as living their truest and authentic selves because I wasn't seeing them struggle with what I was mm. struggling with, and that's maybe the facade that I was living mm. through at that point. I don't know. Um, but when I was younger, I think a lot of kids around me were living their true authentic selves until they were told that those parts of themselves are wrong. Um, so kids were like, boys were dressing up and wearing like what society would deem as girly clothes and things like that around me. And that didn't matter at that point because they were just being kids, but then as they were growing up and if they still wanted to continue doing that, then they were told this is wrong. This is blah, blah, blah. All these negative things that are put on parts of yourself that you feel are true. And then maybe after um, our childhood, they weren't living their true authentic selves because they were told that who they are is wrong. Mm. Um, Mm. Yeah, but in my thinking that I'm not being my authentic self. I thought then that means everybody else is and I am the problem and I need to fix myself. I need to become better within myself so I can be as free as they look like they are. Maybe they weren't, but this is what I thought then. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's, let's zoom into that for mm-hmm. a second. Um, someone's authentic mm-hmm. self, living authentically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way I perceive someone being authentic um, is almost like in a state of flow. You know, it's, it's this period in someone's life. Yeah. Not, it might not be a, an exact period as, as in like timeline, but it, it could be, you know, having a conversation where that person is just, there's lots. The time is, is gone. Um, they are not thinking. They're so abundantly present and it feels right. I don't know how mm. to explain authenticity without adding emotion to that to that sort of way of feeling 100 percent. Yeah. um wh- how do you think or what do you think living authentically i mean i suppose you could read tons and tons of things about this and it's all over 
mm-hmm. it's all over any psychological <laughs> book or podcast as well <laughs> but how would you how would you define sort of being authentic or living authentically for me being authentic is mostly about kindness kindness to yourself i think when you get to a point when you can be kind to yourself in every moment of every day regardless of if something is going wrong or you're messing up or you're really doing great or you know you're relearning and unlearning if you can be kind to yourself in those moments i think you're being authentic because you're you're then embracing the flaws that you have and understanding that that's okay and um being brave enough to express that to the world um with kindness through kindness so i think being able to be kind to yourself for me is a sign of somebody who's being authentic um because it's really difficult to be kind to ourselves incredibly difficult well for me at least it's been well what is yeah. it that that you struggle with how how are you not in in, in our preparation again i go back to the sort of bio mm-hmm. you would have sent me um and the one line that really stuck out to me you said is i am most at peace when i actively choose myself um and I, I assume that's you know a form or you living authentic authentically uh, or being being kind yeah what are the being what are kind, the yeah. sort of acts or ways of being kind that you experience um and what are the knots like is it is it anxiety would you consider that not being kind is it um for me the acts of kindness to myself um would be uh, i don't know i don't know how to word this it's kind of like when you are feeling like you are the worst version of yourself like you are going through depression or anxiety or you're super angry and temperamental and or you're not being as productive as you want to be or you're not you know you're not, yeah you're not doing the things that you love in those moments that's when you need to choose kindness that's when you need to be like okay i'm going to take a moment to breathe and listen to my thoughts even if they're not the best thoughts i'm going to take a moment to be with myself or okay i'm going to make myself a warm cup of tea and enjoy it without feeling bad that i'm not sending this email or i'm going to take a walk outside and have sunshine on my face for a little bit or i'm going to speak to somebody who makes me smile or i'm going to eat that chocolate and it's mm-hmm. like it's a it's a it's a way of me showing kindness to myself for this moment um yeah so i think it's in the little yeah. acts it's in the little acts the little moments that you choose every day to choose yourself those for me are showing kindness to yourself or are living your most authentic life yeah. um but like i said it's it's really it's really difficult i can't stress this enough it's really difficult and choosing then to do that even knowing how difficult yeah. it is that's like that's the best kindness you can show yourself well listen i think um you know choosing a bar of chocolate or a cup of tea <laughs> whenever mm-hmm. someone's feeling flustered is perhaps um, not the hardest not the hardest thing to be doing but it's going back to that emotion attached to it mm-hmm. and having the chocolate for the sake of you know letting it go or breathe in or just having a time out i think is a 
time, exactly. It's about the time that you spend eating that chocolate, the time that you've been making that tea and enjoying it without um, worrying about all these other things that you feel like are making you not the best version of yourself. Mm. No, yeah, not worrying that you're not using this time for other mm. people. That too, like you're being selfish. This idea of like, it's selfish to want me time. It's selfish to choose yourself. It's selfish. Those those ideas, those for me are not being kind to yourself. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, you know, the a lot of the conversations um, I even have around the dinner table at home is, is trying to tease out mm-hmm. what those around me are are using as escape routes to seek those moments of like solitude or to have a, sort of a timeout. If, if my mom's having a mm-hmm. bad day, uh, often I'll just ask, like, what did you do? What did you do to to just not have that experience anymore? Did you like, go for a walk? Did you make a cup of tea? How's that a glass of wine? Um, I think those mm-hmm. understanding what your body needs or your mind needs in that time, as you say now, is difficult, but it also takes practice. It's an escape route. Uh, for mm. me personally, it's, it's journaling, it's, it's CrossFit, it's nature, uh, whatever it could be. Um, if I'm looking back at uh, what we were talking about slightly earlier at such a young age where you had role models like your dad and your sister just truly authentically being confident, self-assured, being themselves, I suppose that that rubbed off mm-hmm. on you at, at an earlier age where you mm-hmm. you harnessed the ability to just slow down in a way, like at least calm the, the monkey mind that goes crazy and doesn't stop thinking to to sort of reset. Um, would you would that be fair in saying, or has it been something that you have mm-hmm. like tried and tried and tried until eventually you found a, a niche that works? I, yes and no, um, and the no is bigger than the yes, because having those influences in my life at an early age didn't show me how to get to that place in my life, how to be so self-assured and, you know, undeniably myself at all times. But what it did give me, which a lot of other people don't have, I think, is the, like, the vision to know that this is something that's possible it showed me that this is something that's possible i didn't know how to achieve it but it showed me that this is something that's possible um but now in my adulthood um i've had to figure those steps out about how then it becomes possible how do you get to that place where you are yourself and happy with that person most of the time (laughs) yeah um so having my dad and my sister at that age just showed me that it's possible didn't necessarily help me to find an escape route out of the my humanness or the more negative parts of my humanness it just showed me that it's possible that i can um and i this idea of like escaping I don't like, I'm not a big fan of that Um, because yeah, um, of like, okay, maybe you're having a bad day. How do I escape from this? I take a walk. I don't like the idea that you want to escape from that because then I feel like it can always come back. Mm. Um, So I, from in my life, I prefer the idea of going through this Mm. thing. Um, So how do I, 
go through it. Maybe then I can just pick up a bit of it. Like I had a bad day because I, I did not have a, a good conversation with somebody that I love and I hurt them. And instead of escaping that, instead of erasing that or putting that in the back of my head, I choose a part of that that I, that I feel like I can handle now. So which part of that conversation with the person that I love um, do I feel like I can be better at next time? And then I take my walk thinking about that, like, okay, I can be more, I can listen more instead of speaking more, something like that. So I take this walk as a way to work through this negative thing that happened in my life instead of escaping yeah. it, because I don't know if that if that's useful. Yeah. To so it's funny. I think the way you've answered that is it's very. Um, I've in fact I've never had someone just sort of nail down on the word escape, um, and I can't help but agree with what you're saying. And but the what what it gets me thinking is that there's almost two type of two types of people and how they would perceive mm-hmm. that question. I think someone. The person mm-hmm. whom you're describing is perhaps very in tune with how they're feeling. Um, they're, they've done a, a bit of self-work that they can identify the conversation that they had made them feel mm-hmm. uncomfortable or the person that they're talking to uncomfortable. Therefore, they have it within them to sort of be retrospective or introspective and want to sort of better that, that the next time a situation like that comes about, uh, therefore sort of, you know, making yeah. them feel more fulfilled or making them feel better whereas whereas um the other person might be someone who might be someone who um just wants to escape you know uh there might yeah. be someone who just wants to feel they just don't want, to, they don't want to think about it again it could be so uncomfortable or it could have been so awkward that for them it's like i actually mm-hmm. don't want to think about this again and therefore if it does come up i'll deal with it when it comes mm-hmm. around again you know so I, I would almost imagine the former, the person you were describing. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's, it, it takes a, it, that goes right back to what you were saying about difficulty. It takes a lot of work and often perhaps times exhausting on your mind to, to always be introspective, mm-hmm. to always be quote unquote philosophical with oneself um, mm-hmm. as, as opposed to just mm-hmm. like going for a run and letting it be or having a drink and breathing it out. Um, what mm-hmm. do you, what do you think? about sort of those two personas i i think that yeah i think that's totally fair i think that's totally fair um and i agree but i also agree that i also think that there's somebody in the middle who takes from both those schools of thought that which i think i'm that person i i don't always like okay this went wrong let me think through it and oh my gosh let me sit with my feelings and whatever sometimes i do want to be like okay I'm just going to continue with my life and try and be happy. Mm. Like I too, right. I don't want to dwell in the things that I need to fix all the time, mm. but that the idea that then you, you become happier after this conversation with your loved one, you become happier and then you never think about what went wrong. Mm. That for me is a little bit dangerous because that leaves room for that to be repeated countless times. Mm. Um, yeah, for example, with the, with the conversation around race and somebody makes, um, a derogatory comments or something like that to me as a black woman and I, and they, they feel bad because, you know, there's something in you that knows that something went wrong in this conversation. Mm-hmm. They feel bad. 
And then they decide, okay, I felt bad for a second. Now I'm going to move on with my life. And they never come back to this moment about why they felt bad, why they, why I felt bad about what they said. And they just continue. I don't, what, what was learned through this? What, what is not going to be repeated through this if we just move completely past mm. it? Yeah, I'm with you. Yes. So let's, let's use that. Okay. So you, You've definitely leapfrogged um, right into a direction which I want to go, which I'm, which is perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to sort of use the, the introduction or the premise of a conversation around how someone feels around race to perhaps, uh, mm-hmm. they might not be related necessarily, but let's try to introduce chapter two of your, your life. So now you've hit the age of 16 and uh, you've identified that this yeah. mold or this, this, uh, yeah, this persona is not someone whom you're entirely comfortable with and you're trying to work through it. Uh, what would you title that chapter two and what next does that period look like for you? Um, hmm. um, I think this chapter two overlaps with chapter one. So from, so my duration of high school, mm-hmm. grade eight to matric. Um, I have no idea what I would title it. Um, I think... <laughs> Um, because that's when I dealt with um, with uh, with fi- with seeing that it's important to accept to find and accept myself. Okay. Um, so I don't know what you would title that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say like the discovery of self or something like that because I feel like you do that every day until you die. Yeah, it's maybe maybe like a, a gentle acceptance. Um, yeah you know I, the way and i mean i I've, I've obviously known you since about the chapter two of your life if i think back now mm-hmm. i think that's pretty much where our friendship mm-hmm. uh was in the way you were yeah. was introduced <laughs> and had blossomed maybe slightly earlier but it was definitely around mm-hmm. that time and uh yeah i guess that chapter two is a gentle acceptance i think for at a young age that at that period in people's lives anyway or kids lives anyway they they are the form a little bit more of you know their own opinion about things or they're they're losing friends or changing friends or it's a yeah it's a very interesting somewhat period um i I just okay so Mm -hmm. i I suppose sort of going back to my initial question that do you think that there is there is a period that so that in that in that period that you started changing Mm -hmm. that self-assurance who your dad and sister you know often portray to the world is that something that you adopted more mm-hmm. yourself and you're like, okay, now yeah. maybe unapologetically just who I am and stumble through this or did mm-hmm. it not quite go that way? So that's when it started. So these thoughts of, okay, you know what? I'm in a new place. I've left my primary school. I'm in a new place. Um, I have, that's why I say that chapter one and chapter two overlap because yeah. Anyway, so now I'm in a new place. I, I'm older. I feel like I am, I know the things that I like, more of the things that I like, more of the things that I'm good at. So I feel like I can be more of my authentic self with these new people. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was it about the people? What was, what was it about the friends, mm-hmm. the people that were different? Oh, no, just because it wasn't those people who knew the mask I was putting on in primary school. Okay. Some of them, I, st- I went to high school with some people that I was. I was in primary school with and um and some of them are still some of my dearest friends yeah. um 
but there were all these other new people that I could try this new DD out with. Right. If that does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, mm-hmm. so I tried to be this person. Let me just give you context of my primary school. Um, I went to an, um, a school, a very kind of smallish school in the countryside in Limpopo, where the high school was of an, an agricultural school. Um, most of the kids in the school were black kids. Um, most of them didn't come. Some of them came from like wealthy families, but most of them were like middle class or lower. Um, and the white kids that were in my school were mostly the, the teacher's kids. Right. So I was in this place where I never had to question this part of myself, my blackness. I never had to question that in primary school. Other parts of myself, yeah, I questioned. But now I was in a high school where there was a mix of kids, um, but the kids that I was most surrounded with didn't look, sound, anything like me or come from a world like mine. Um, or anything like that. And I felt like, okay, I have to now fit in again, but now with one of the biggest parts of myself, with my blackness, now I have to dial that down that I can assimilate to this community, this new community that I, that I find myself in. And yeah, that was a lot. Interesting. That was a lot. Interesting. So was that a... Was that a conscious decision to dial that blackness down of yours? Or was it something that you were, it was almost like a defense mechanism, for lack of a better way of pointing mm-hmm. it, where you were like, I, I've now found a tribe that I feel comfortable in, but I'm, I still can't 100% be authentically me. Therefore, I'm going to dial that blackness down so that I can somewhat be more accepted in a way. I, how, how, you, how is that what it was? Was it a conscious decision, do you think? I don't think it was a conscious decision because I don't think I had that level of consciousness at that point in my life. But I think it was a survival tactic. Mm-hmm. Like, um, right, remember I said that during the stage of loss, I, I was trying to get people around me that feel the sense of loss. So I didn't want to be alone again, like what I experienced in primary school. I wanted to have people, my people, and the people who seemed to gravitate towards me and that I gravitated towards ended up people that ended up being um, people that didn't, that weren't black. Um, Not to say that I didn't have any black friends because I did. but my other friends weren't. Um, and it's not just about my group of friends. It's about the school system in general. Yeah. I went to a school, an institution of whiteness, um, where most of my teachers were white, where most of the things that we did in school were not things that Black people were, like, really used to, it, you know, things like that. Can you um, give an example? Where Black... Mm, no, the easiest example I can go with is the hair thing. Right. That my hair was was always regulated, whereas other people's hair was, but in a superficial yeah. way, like the cut of hair, don't dye your hair. Whereas mine was like, your hair grows out of your head like this, but we don't want to see it like this. Change yeah. that. Um, 
things like that, or like, oh, the black girls are so loud, or don't speak in a language we're in an English school, but Afrikaans girls can. Um, things like that, just little microaggressions um, that told me that my blackness is not welcome here in all its glory, and therefore you need to dial it down to assimilate. And, and I did, and I became the good black girl that the white people felt comfortable being around, that the teachers were proud of, that could be a leader of the school with no problem, um, you know, that was well-liked and whatever. I assimilated. Mm. Um, yeah, and not to say that all parts of that girl wasn't who I am, because a lot of them were, uh, but some of them weren't. Some of them weren't. I just, I had to survive. And I am a hundred percent sure that the majority of the other black people that I know from this school and many others in this area could attest to what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a trauma that we bond through, sadly enough. But without explicitly saying so, or was it a, or were there conversations about you and your friends um, not being able to? Or was it, I don't know how to ask to sort of refrain this question or from ask this question. Mm-hmm. Was it, was it the matter of uh, the black students at the school getting together complaining about how they weren't allowed to just grow their hair naturally or wear their hair as they wanted to? Or was it more like a subconscious bonding that you knew that you were all in the same boat, but nothing ever needed to be said, but had to be said, but exactly. wasn't said? Nothing was said amongst us because we knew. So no conversation. Why would you re- carry on reopening this wound in your space of safety? Yeah, yeah, I get you. you know, so it's not a conversation we had, but we knew what was happening. Um, but now it's more conversations that are being had outside of, like explicitly had amongst us and amongst other groups of people that um, feel that it's important to have these conversations. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Momentum is growing for sure. Um, if anything, in the in the confidence to to not feel ostracized and in voicing one's opinion and one's rights, you know, in, whether it be in blackness, mm-hmm. in race, in privilege, in whatever it might be, um, there's definitely I, I've sensed over the last three months this air of the world we live in right now is no longer acceptable just the way it is without like necessarily questioning mm-hmm. or saying something about it. And it's beautiful in its own for in sure. its own way. It's scary for many. It's it's liberating for others. Um, and it's just almost mm-hmm. this back and forth, this to and fro, where <laughs> people are you know, stumbling and trying to find their words and not think about what anyone else is saying, but but just mm-hmm. go back to that authenticity, just saying how what's on their heart. Mm-hmm. Back in that, um, I, I just I'm, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes for a moment. I don't mean to harness on one particular point, uh, but you mentioned earlier the sort of the institution of whiteness at the school. Um, yeah. I guess, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a male, I'm, uh, I'm mixed race. Um, I had a, a, a very different journey through my high school as opposed to what you did. Um, obviously intimate mm-hmm. to me and yours was intimate to you. But I'm trying to, or I wonder if you would be able to somewhat paint the picture or describe a little bit more what that felt like at that time. So here was perhaps one Point of contention, um, but at, like at what are, the, are you able to put words to the feelings of just being in a place where you're constantly uncomfortable, or and then days that you weren't necessarily uncomfortable and you felt okay, but 
then you like default back to this isn't okay. Is that a fake? Is it, mm. is it even a fair question to be asking? I, I'm not sure how to go about this. Um, it's like I don't know. I also don't know if I can like. I'm trying to put it metaphorically yeah. so that it's accessible to people who aren't black. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of like wearing a sweater, wearing a really comfortable sweater, but there's like something pinching you inside that sweater. I don't know if you've ever had that sensation. Yeah. Like um like a yeah, something small that keeps like pinching your skin yeah. in that sweater and you can't find it. You can't find it, but that pinch remains in this comfy sweater. Mm. Um so being in this institution of whiteness was like having this comfy sweater on because um, a lot of the things were really good. It was a good school. I learned cool things. I met cool people, things like that. It was a good school like, like to apply for university from, um, things like that. But there was always this pinch that I couldn't quite find. Like, why do I not feel like being fully myself is possible here? Why do, you know, why do I feel uncomfortable when... Um, I speak in my language. Why am I not seeing people in authoritative positions in the school that look like mm. me? Um, things like that. Those things were that little pinch that stayed in my sweater for five years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I can explain it, I guess. Yeah, that's no, it's beautiful. I get um, that completely. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd almost beg to, to argue that that pinch that you, that you referenced is, um, you know, it's mm-hmm. isolated in a way that it's at school. So it's very apparent. You, you, if, you, if there's no, you know, black headmistress or enough black teachers on the school mm-hmm. governing body, it's very apparent. Um, mm-hmm. and I'd argue that that pinch becomes slightly, <laughs> or the jersey becomes bigger and the pinch becomes smaller the minute you leave school. Now it's a, it's a systemic mm-hmm. issue where if you look at, Mm-hmm. government or if you look at uh, you know just the ministers if you in whatever world you might find yourself in at university um mm-hmm. now it's escalated where it's that the exact same uh pinch is still there but now it's just on a broader scale it is is mm-hmm. that something so which i'm sort of trying to tie this into where we are today where people are no longer yeah. saying that what is existing is okay and there needs to be a change mm-hmm. that has to happen um, is that something that you felt as well once leaving high school, primary school, high school, once you entered the world, into the world of university and adulthood, um, were these conversations mm-hmm. prevalent as well amongst your friend groups? Was it the same pinch that you felt? Yeah. No. Yeah. So the pinch remained, to be honest, the pinch has always been there. Mm. It's just, um, it's just sometimes other people were wearing the sweater more often than I was. Yeah. But in high school, I had to wear the sweater daily, right? So this system of whiteness was clear in my face every day. Whereas before, it was experienced through other people more. Like, I knew my dad. My dad doesn't have an African name. His names are John Andrew. And why? Because before, his parents thought that would give him a better chance at when in his adulthood when he's looking for a job to have a white-sounding name, things like that. So... I knew that this pinch was forever in our lives. It's just in high school, it was more 
in my group. Um, and then when I went to university, um, more of these conversations were had because I was braver to have them. Yeah. I was braver to have them when I was in university. And a lot of that is because of what I was studying. So I studied geographical and archaeological sciences um, with a bigger focus on social sciences mm. and how people interact with each other and the different environments within them. And so a lot of that was theorized. Um, and I, I started accumulating the language in which to articulate what I was feeling and seeing and experiencing in the world. Mm. So the pinch was easier to find. Yeah. Now I could blatantly see where the pinch was in my sweater and, um, and, then, and then talk about it or address it or, you know, try to fix it in the capacity that I had. Could you, so, could you, could you speak to that? How, how those conversations had? Was it a matter of uh, at a party where something was said and you were there, you were witness to that, that comment? And therefore stood up and said, that's not okay to say, or is it more like a, a, a group where you were as open conversations, friends were approaching you and you could have these conversations. How did the, the setup work? Uh, the setup worked. <laughs> I mean, that sounds really you know, analytical. Like I don't, I don't uh, mean it like a. <laughs> the setup. No, just, uh, it was, it came, these conversations came up in moments where I had enough. Um, So, so for example, I would be like with a group of friends and somebody would make a joke, well, what they think is a joke, but it wasn't like a sexist joke or a racist joke or something like that. And I would be like, why? Why is that funny? Yeah. can you explain to me why is that why that is funny and not at all problematic and it for me it was a mission to it was a mission for people to self-evaluate because being asked that question then you need to think about why you think that's funny and see the list of problems that come out while you're trying to blurb out your answer blurt out your answers um so yeah it was like a constant line of questioning in spaces where I didn't feel comfortable. Like, why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? Yeah. Um, why, why? And I know <laughs> one of my closest friends um, now to this day, a white, blonde, blue-eyed girl, um, would still say that like during that time in my life, it was like everybody was under attack from me. Like, because I was constantly like, why? Oh, no, blah, 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 like that. Yeah. Like I was constantly firing up all these questions, which I never had before. So this was like new for the people around mm. me. Like, whoa, this girl, like, why won't she let us touch her hair anymore? Mm. Things like that. It was like this awakening for them too. And, um, and through that experience, I lost a lot of friends. Um, maybe some of them might think we're still friends, but... <laughs> I'm not friend. <laughs> Different a one-sided friendship happening. <laughs> exactly. I lost a lot of I lost a lot of friends and I am happier because of it. 
But yeah, so I had to go to through to this place where I was just enough, enough. And your dull friendship wasn't enough, me suffering through this uncomfortability. It was time for you to take it on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I get I guess the setup is being enough. I, I guess the a cliche thing to say in this situation, and perhaps a, a, a mm-hmm. thing, not a thing, a statement or a comment that is no longer accepted would be to say that the mm-hmm. more you speak up in this uh, in these situations or in this regard, the easier it becomes. But I feel like the things mm-hmm. that you're 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 questioning, um, and this is what I'm trying to do and uh, to learn about or unlearn more about as well. Is that it no longer it's not easier it doesn't get easier to be continue having you continue making these questions no. to because the more often you're having to speak up I'm, assu- I'm don't let me speak on your behalf please feel free to correct me but the more often i assume you're speaking up the more obvious it becomes how how much of an issue it is therefore it's almost harder to be why are you still having to ask the question why does someone say this or why did they think it's funny exactly am, am i on the, sort exactly. of the right trend um Hundred percent. Um, because now when you speak out of ignorance without holding space for you for you to learn, I just take that a, as a sign that you don't care. Yeah. That you don't care about me or you don't care about the world that you live in, that you don't care because you have the tools to better yourself. You have the tools to step out of this ignorance. So you're choosing to stay there because it's more convenient and comfortable for you. And if you continue choosing that, then I'm going to choose to remove it from my life because that doesn't serve me in any way. I always say that the people I like to keep around me in my life are people who inspire, um, challenge and care for me. And you have to be doing all three of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to remain an important part of my life. These are just the This is just the criteria that I've put up for myself. Yeah. And um, if you decide that you're going to stay in your ignorant ways and you're not caring about me, you're not inspiring or challenging, maybe you're challenging me, yeah, um, but it's a challenge I have stopped to accept a lot of the times because sometimes I just choose self-preservation. Yeah, yeah sure. So yeah. if you had to put your, um, your sort of a, how do I frame this? Uh, I'm going to use a sporting reference, excuse me, because I've hit a blank and I don't know how else to ask it. But I, was, <laughs> I might not understand, was, but let's go. I was going to say, you have to put your, your coach's hat on or your, like, your coach's... Okay. And you, it sounds so bad, but how would, you, um, how would you advise or how would you, perhaps, if you're talking to a younger Didi or a younger black girl uh-huh. who is confronted with mm-hmm. her blonde, blue-eyed friend whom she loves dearly but doesn't mm-hmm. refrain from you know, caring enough to ask questions or not make certain comments, how do you then advise either a young black girl to, to like keep at it, to keep asking the questions? Um, and then I suppose mm-hmm. the second to that question is how do you advise a young blonde, blue-eyed girl uh, to think a bit more or to care a little bit more about what she's actually saying? Mm. Um, oh, that's tough, Matt. Um, just Just for the record, I'd like to say that um, the blonde blue eyed girl wasn't the one under constant attack sure. because she got it. Yeah. Um, but just for the record. And um, how would I advise little Didi to go through this? I would tell her that it's not your burden to bear. Mm. You don't always have to be the one fixing things. Mm. 
um, because you're not the one who's causing the problems. Um, so it's not your burden to bear because you're going to feel disappointed countless times by not being able to fix it because you, you usually can't fix a, a problem that wasn't created by you. It's really difficult mm. to do that. So, and I would tell the other people around her um, to think further than themselves. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, to step into the uncomfortability. But how do you tell that to a kid in high school who's where who's always represented in media, whose life is great, has both parents at home, ha, can afford everything they want, has friends who look like them, every you know, they never have to question these parts of their identity. How do you tell them to then question these parts of their identity? Yeah. Which that's really tough. Which yeah. kind of goes so I made a little note on my side. The the saying to mm-hmm. the little Didi, that's not your burden to bear or you don't have to always fix it because it's not mm-hmm. your fault. It almost puts that mm-hmm. little Didi at a catch-22, right? I, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because I, whilst I agree with you 100%, that this person should not necessarily mm-hmm. feel like the world is on their shoulders and that they represent the entire black community of their school every time she speaks up. Um, if, if, she, if she somehow finds within herself to be confident enough to not feel that burden and just like let it be um, and try not to like, let it weigh her down, but nothing is ever said to the blonde, blue-eyed girl, uh, then that blonde, exactly. blue-eyed girl would never know to think further than themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's a bit of a weird thing. Like if, the whole, if Black Lives Matter, if, if the contention around what, what actually happened to George Floyd and the way protests went about, the way people started speaking out never happened, then change, I would argue, never would have come about the way it did. Um, or at least for not the foreseeable future, like, at least it remained like this year. It might have come about through through another way, but without, I suppose, a black population or without someone having to say something, um, there's this there's this sort of stagnant air that never gets dealt with. But I I would argue that it's it's naive to think that black people haven't been speaking out, yeah. that women haven't been speaking out uh, um, against gender based violence. Yeah. I think it's naive to think that it's it's now to say who's been listening, who who's been listening because um, and that's why I say little Didi or little black girl or whatever. It's not your burden to bear because so many before you have done this and now you still have to carry this burden. Whereas the the other people don't have to listen still. Like I still have to keep saying, please listen, please listen. My life is important. And another person keeps saying, but, Mm, but, mm. but. And that's what I'm saying, that it's not, you don't have to keep showing people how amazing and brilliant and important and valid you are. It's their turn now to see that. Mm. And if they don't, then you start creating spaces for yourself where you feel seen and valid and safe. Mm. I, I agree with you. Um, I do, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. If I can take, so this, I don't want to diverge the conversation into uh, this direction, but I feel like just to sort of give a a a, uh, a whole <laughs> a holistic point of view to it, mm-hmm. I'd love to just touch on briefly um, the the mm-hmm. advice to someone, or not advice necessarily, but someone who needs to think more 
or less about themselves and more about the other. Um, so I mean, to put it black and white, how do you, mm-hmm. a, a population of, of white people, girls at a school or the world at large now, this, this, the mm-hmm. term of unlearning has been used and coined more and more so, and people are lo- looking and exploring more of white privilege, um, you know, systemic whiteness, uh, white institutions, all this kind of conversations, conversations are happening. Um, I'd love to just touch on the points if you're happy to do so, how, how a white person or a male can go about the unlearning or learning. Do you have any comments or thoughts or advice that someone can do um, or attempt? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's about wanting to. I think a lot of the time people tell, like a black person will tell a white person or whatever that, um, listen, you need to unlearn these things or you need to learn more about these things. But if that white person doesn't want to, nothing is going to happen. So I think it's about people who are not being oppressed to want to be better. And for that to happen, for you to get to the point of wanting to get better, it's about developing some sort of empathy because you'll never understand the oppressions that you've never experienced. So you need to develop some sort of empathy. And usually for people that comes from having people around them that don't have the same, that haven't had the same life experiences. So having like people around you um, that you care about, having um, people who are queer around you that you care about, um, working in spaces that have different people around you, um, a better, like kind of a better reflection of the world than just your white comfort space. So emerging yourself in these spaces that are a better reflection of the world. Um, I think that's where you start to gain empathy because then you start caring about these people and wanting to learn more about their life experiences and why your part in their life experiences has maybe been oppressive or violent or problematic and then how you can be better. And then you taking that information back into your community and sharing it with other people. Um, yeah, don't don't let that like awakeness stay with you. Share it with the people around you. Yeah. So to summarize what I've said, I'd say that you would you need to want to be better for you to be better. People can't keep telling you to be better. You need to want it. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. That was very beautiful and elegant. Mm-hmm. Thank you um, for, sh- for sharing <laughs> sharing it the way you did. Uh, to to slowly transgress or progress the conversation into perhaps a chapter three, mm-hmm. maybe adult yeah. adulthood. My favorite. Chapter. Say again, sorry. My favorite chapter. Your favorite chapter. Um, yeah. And we've entered into the uh, period three. W- at what stage does this chapter three um, get introduced to you in your life? And is there a chapter four that pre- precedes it, or are we currently existing in chapter three at the moment? We are existing in chapter three. Okay. Chapter three has been the longest chapter, I think. Um, so chapter three started towards the end of my university until this point. Okay. And that consisted of me traveling um, and through traveling, 
And through losing and gaining relationships with people, I started to form a really, a really delicious relationship with myself, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. <laughs> um, and starting to see myself for the brilliant person that I am. And yeah, so that all happened in chapter three. So I think that was like embracing my light. If I, I would title it that, embracing my I light. I love that. Um, yeah. I love yeah. that. That's fantastic. Okay. Um, I, I feel like a large part of this mm-hmm. conversation, although the, the introduction to our conversation today was more around perhaps authenticity and then um, mm-hmm. somewhat uh, self-discovery, uh, confidence to, to mm-hmm. like, explore and question um a golden thread without a doubt over the last the last 60 minutes has been about vulnerability as well and being mm-hmm. able to to look in or look out and um you yeah, open oneself up to to want to change you know wanting to be better yeah or, uh, wanting to do this hard work that i've referred to a couple of times um which is different mm-hmm. to hard work it's you know it's it's, mm-hmm. it's doing the work that's required to be a better human being and to make those around you be better as well um what is it about this chapter that that you would say has allowed you to embrace that light of yours um and the relationships that you mm-hmm. that have ebbed and flowed out of your life why is this so sort of profound i think you mentioned a big part of it which is vulnerability so a lot of chapter three has been about taking chapter one and the experiences that I was having in chapter one and the DD that I didn't really like in chapter one and kind of dismantling that and seeing why I didn't like her. Um, and that has been such a magical experience experience for me. So, so let's just like take a few points uh, about what I didn't like about baby. And if you can, can you, can, if you can, um, sorry, can you contextualize it as well? Like what was yeah? that method of identifying these points? Was it a journal? Was it a, conversation um so watch you watch mm-hmm. explain the points just like set the scene for us as well please um uh, for me to identify those points it was a lot about heartbreak okay and um and how i processed this heartbreak was through crying <laughs> a lot of crying and so every moment where I felt like my heart was breaking and I had to cry it all out I would then think about why I was crying what caused this heartbreak and a lot of it led to baby Didi so I think it so me processing my thoughts is a lot about like just sitting then being with them and crying them out and then thinking about them I don't journal a lot I've started to do that through my travels, because I just want to write like what I did today, if I did a cool thing. Sure. Um, I don't journal a lot, um, but I think a lot. Welcome um, to the club. So for me, yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's literally, I like, there's no tip. It's just for me, it's just me sitting there and crying it out and then thinking about why I'm crying. Okay. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. So I would cry about um, my body and how I see my body now versus how I saw my body then, because I've always been fatter than everybody around me for the most part. Um, yeah, I've never been what people think of as like a desirable, a desirable body shape. And that used to really bother me. 
And now it doesn't at all because I look at health in a completely different mm-hmm. way. Not that it doesn't at all. That's a lie. It still bothers me. There's still parts of my body that I'm like, mm, we don't know about this sure. part. Um, but yeah, <laughs> a lot of it is not about appearance. It's about what my body's able to allow me to do. Um, and so I used to cry about my body and I used to cry about, um, I used to cry about things like when I was young, um, I, the people around me used to have things like a cool phone, cool clothes, cool everything. They had this thing where like they buy winter clothes, they go out shopping for buy for winter clothes, things like that. And that was never part of my life because my dad was always like, you have winter clothes from last year. What's wrong with those? Um, you're not going to get crayons this year because you still have crayons yeah. that work the same. So you're going to use them. And I would like sneakily throw out all my things in the trash can. And then the next day I'd find it all laid out on my bed. Um, my dad would be like, uh, you must place your bags in the bin. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, Some more materialistic and- things that you're referring to. Exactly. And now, and now that has like, now that shows itself in my life as like, no, when I think about that, I think about it as a status thing. Like, because I, I was dark skinned and black and fat or whatever, then, okay, maybe I can have status. Like I come from a family like this that has stuff or you know, things like that. And now I think about it and I'm like, that doesn't matter a bit to me. I really could care less uh, about that. And that has transpired in my sustainable lifestyle Um, because it's something that doesn't matter to me anymore. And it only mattered then because it was filling a void for something, a void that I don't have anymore now because I've worked through that. Do you know what I'm saying? So things like that. So I cry and think about what I'm crying and find it in my childhood and try to fix it and bring that into my adulthood. And that has transpired into sustainability, into body positivity, into um, trying to have a more open mind to allow people around me to be whoever they want to be um, and feel safe being that person because I didn't feel safe being who I was when I was baby BB. Oh, no. um, so things like that. So cry. <laughs> that's um Yeah. Oh that's it's that's beautiful. I'm just I'm sitting here in in awe at the, the ability to be so vulnerable. Um it's almost it's almost cried out. It's like it's getting out of your system or um in mm. not, but not in a negative way. It's more like this this um Working through yeah, it, it's yeah. evolving. This, this, um, yeah, metamorphing, metamorphosizing. That's the right word, I imagine. Um, no, wait, I don't know. <laughs> coming into coming into your the, the the light that you refer to that embracing that light. Um, yes, that's yeah. I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome to hear. How it would is there is there anything that you're still struggling with now that um that you're just sort of like. Or is it sort of everything that you've alluded to? Is it the back and forth between all the variety of topics that you're sort of floating between? Or is it something that you've like absolutely nailed and you think to yourself, I am no longer concerned about 
how I see myself around this or what others think of me about this. Mm-hmm. Have you come to that stage at all? Um, no. no. I, <laughs> I think I'm working towards that stage every day. Okay, there's something that I'm sure of and that's like how I choose to live my life in a more sustainable way. Yeah. Um, that's something that I am sure of. And thank you to my dad for being the cool guy that he is even with the annoying daughter that he had back then. Um, but yeah, I was super secure in that part. But again, I struggle with ideas of acceptance because my life is so different from everybody else that I know. Um, I am this like weird girl who like lives in different countries and doesn't have a 95 job and is dating some guy in a different country and we don't speak the same language and things like that. All these things that are so strange to people, strange to me because I don't have any representation of this in my life. Um, And then having to constantly validate why my life is okay. Like, it's fine that I don't have a house to my name. It's fine that I don't whatever, whatever. Like, I constantly have to say these things to some of my friends to some of my family members um because they don't understand they just they don't understand they don't understand so it's been going back to the idea of not being fully accepted for my choices um, which is tough again and so yeah so this is something i'm definitely working through not not giving a damn what um people think of my life because i feel really happy with the life that i'm living um yeah so again like acceptance considering that that this is the chapter three this is the longest like chapter that that you've um that you're experiencing would you consider Mm -hmm. this acceptance you refer to as as a a really proud moment of yours as this point of like success Mm -hmm. Or uh, mm-hmm. is there another pivotal moment that that you've worked through and that you're really, really proud of that the woman you have become because of working through that? Um, yeah. Um, I became really proud of the woman that I am when I realized that I have the ability to hold a safe space for other people. Um and that's because I I was learning how to do that for myself. And it goes back to the idea of being kind to yourself. And that's how you live your most authentic life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm kind enough to myself to hold a safe space for myself. And because I did that for myself, I was able to do that for others. And when I was able to do that, that led to all the other good things that come to my life, like this self-acceptance and um this yeah not being afraid to be who you are um those kind of things come from me being able to hold space for other people and that is the success of my life yeah. so far um i don't know if i answered yeah, your question you did, you uh, did. i felt what i said no you you <laughs> you did you did lovingly and um I think I thought that popped up whilst you were which you were talking was uh you referred to obviously living this more sustainable lifestyle. Um I mm. wonder if there's 
been a change in your chapter three that has that has helped you hold the space? And by that, I refer to like, are you, from what I've followed your journey up to now, are you completely plant based uh, in your diet? Um, no. Or does there is there is there something that within your sustainable lifestyle that you do just help you feel better, and therefore sort of be mm-hmm. better? Mm-hmm. Um, my sustainability lifestyle is about meeting myself where I am and meeting other people where they are. So if you are in a part of your life where you can't be completely plant based, or that's just not how you want to live your life chilled that doesn't mean you can't live sustainably um so for me my sustainability life looks like doing the best i can when i can and making a a conscious effort to do the best that i can where i can so um it's about for me it's about walking more when i travel eating more plant when i travel oh in my life say when i travel but my life is travel <laughs> I guess like then my life um living a more plant-based life life but I do eat meat and eggs and things sometimes sure. for yeah and um it's also about growing food um and then not just eating the food but understanding understanding how that food came to your plate so the chains that are involved are the workers getting paid enough are they working in ethical conditions um things like that like is it fair trade is it those kinds of things for me there's been this whole like like whitewashing of sustainability and even greenwashing of sustainability um what i mean by greenwashing is like people will be like oh this is natural this is good for the earth, whatever, but there's no basis as to why. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you, you feel like, okay, I can buy this product because it's natural, but there's a woman in Pakistan earning $2 an hour for those things that you are purchasing. How in the world is that sustainable? Um, or the whitewashing, which I also referred to, where people of color feel might feel like sustainability is not a movement for them, because sustainability is marketed as this like um, thing where you have to have like a metal straw and or you know wear a bamboo t-shirt and go to yoga and blah blah blah, and that's not stuff that some people have access to. Why can't sustainability look like you wearing your hand-me-down shirt? until you use it as something to wash your floor with um, because that's what you have access to and that for me is sustainability too mm. so um yeah so my sustainability life going back to your question looks like meeting people where they are there's no one way to do it it's just about making the best decisions that help you to be in harmony with the the elements around you meaning the people around you the economies around you the natural environment around you your inner self, your spirituality. For me, that's part of sustainability too. Are you listening to how you feel? Are you processing your thoughts in a, in a kind way? Um, things like that. Those are all sustainability. So, yeah, it looks like meeting people where they are. Mm. That's sustainability. Yeah. Mm. You've, got, you've given me a few things mm-hmm. to think about. I've really uh, 
Mm-hmm. Like, I've really started the white <laughs> and green washing of sustainability. Um, I think that's quite a nice mm-hmm. anecdote or quite a nice thought. Uh, and we could all be doing a little bit better and without a doubt, convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just that. Sort of yeah. taking some few notes out of my side. So thank you for sharing the way did. <laughs> no problem. I just don't like that those parts of sustainability condemn other people's lives. Yeah. Like, because then people who are like living a more sustainable life we grow a kind of a superiority complex like i'm better because i don't eat eggs and it's like oh just <laughs> shut up <laughs> like, <laughs> like somebody else is walking to work every day and you're driving your four by four like just calm down yeah. do what you can and allow other people to live their lives as best as they can too you can maybe like say what ways other people can be more sustainable but don't condemn them for not choosing that like people are dealing with different things it's also a privilege to be able to not eat meat or do all these things because you have the choice to not do that other people don't so it's just about like uh being more kind to people being more empathetic to people I'm, con- I'm yeah. convinced you and I could have a whole nother conversation just around privilege and, uh, and what that looks like Definitely. and um, how that plays out in our, our world and what the way we've seen mm-hmm. it to be. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I'd like to sort of leave this conversation on, on that note. Um, the way you have journeyed through, through this with me um, mm-hmm. has been it's been so rewarding and so rich in. Um, I cannot thank you enough. I must be honest, like I said at the beginning, it was one of the conversations where I was nervous, I was excited, I was uncertain <laughs> on how to just go about it. Um, mm-hmm. Arguably, my, uh, my family always say I'm one for, you know, the deeper philosophy. I can't have a normal conversation because I'm always like, uh, uh, like going into like why, why, why. And um, yeah this this was a space that i wanted to hold with you and purely dedicate that time and the presence to to having a type of conversation like that and it's been personally very very rewarding so i want to thank you just for for sharing the way you have um you're welcome mm-hmm. is there is there anything that perhaps up, up to now um in your chapter three or chapter one or two that we didn't get across to you discussing that has helped you be who you are today um no i don't think so not really i think um i think this part of my life um apart from like embracing my light is about is about gratitude and showing gratitude to the people through the other chapters of my life that have helped me to embrace my light like i said baby dd has like throughout, without the experiences that baby Didi had, I don't know if I would be able to be this person now. And um, my dad for just being like the sustainable powerhouse that he has always been. And I just never realized it until my adulthood. Um, and my sister for being as just, just uh, a magnificent, human um a beautiful example of what i want my womanhood to look like and um and some really dope friends who have kept me accountable um who have kept me challenged like i said if you inspire and care and challenge me i'll keep in my life (laughs) so shout out to those people 
Um, and shout out to me. Shout out to you. For yeah, <laughs> shout out to me for going through all of that and coming out still kind to myself, still trying to be kind. I'm not always kind to myself, but still trying to be kind to myself. Um, yeah. It's good to know you're a human. Um, yeah, definitely that. <laughs> I'm definitely, definitely that. Um, and yeah, and uh, one other big thing is to nature yeah. and her universe because I've learned many lessons from from her. Yeah. So fantastic, Did That's what I'm grateful for. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna thank you again, and um, I cannot wait to to follow more of your journey and uh, to see and have more of these type of conversations with you. I hope that the next one will be in person on some remote island somewhere <laughs> in the world, <laughs> catching you somewhere in your in-between travels and transit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish you well. And I hope that the, um, yeah, that the next couple of days and uh, the foreseeable future is as good to you as what it has been up to now, at least leading up to this conversation. So, uh, I'll chat to you very, very soon. Thank you, Matt. I wanna, I wanna say to you quickly that um, thank you for being curious enough to have these conversations, and then being brave enough to listen through them. Um, because I know it's not an easy thing to do, um, and I think more people need to be more curious and braver to be able to have these conversations. Because that's how we learn more about each other, and then make decisions that help each other feel safer in the world so thank you for being curious and brave <laughs> well you know it was uh, it was easy for me to do so because you hold the space so well <laughs> <laughs> um it'd be cool so next time i'll hopefully be on the other side of the mic and uh be cool to have mm-hmm. you have a few questions fired out this way but uh yes we'll plan that for another day please i'll chat to you soon thanks very mm-hmm. much thank you bye, bye. hey guys matt here again just before you run off thank you for lending me your ears and tuning in once again i hope that you enjoyed the conversation and of course i would love to hear any sort of feedback you might have you can do so through all forms of social media really I've probably spammed enough about that or through my email, which is outcomepodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and even to say hello. Uh, For those that have any advice on long distance recording, please feel free to share and send through a few links as well. I am an open book and am willing to learn. Uh, As usual, if you have any other news, please pass it through. And if you haven't yet subscribed or shared the podcast via the very many links that you could potentially find it on, I encourage you to do so too. Uh, Looking forward to hearing from you and until then, cheers.